If everybody, if everybody settled, got some water poured, got their coffee done. Okay, Annalise, I'm going to get going now. I, if everybody can shut off their cell phones, I, I've just shut mine off, so we, we should be good with that. Um, welcome to the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs again. Um, the session's being recorded, so if you shout something out, make sure it's you know at least compassionate and sensitive. Um, <laughs> I, I've got to remind everybody to pay. You got to pay. Uh, lunch costs twelve bucks. It's a heck of a bargain. If you can find me any other place in town with a twelve dollar lunch like this, I, I mean, I'll eat my hat. You're just not going to do it. So you know, it, it, make sure you get the twelve bucks in. Have somebody count it, preferably an accountant or a lawyer, someone who's got some power behind them. I've got a Danish gentleman going to count mine. Um, we're going to run here. Uh, Professor Harold Jansen is going to talk for about a half an hour. I'm going to try to wrap up quick, quick in case he needs 35 minutes. Then we do the question period a lot. Most of you know the drill, right? We do the question period. That's when the real fun starts. Um, Harold Jansen, well, okay, first of all, uh, support comes from the Lethbridge Herald. That's why I'm here. My name's Dylan Purcell. I'm the sports editor at the Herald. But I really like, I really like electoral reform. Um, we get support from the U of L. We get support from Shaw TV. Look at that. Shaw TV is going to put this on television. Don't don't watch my part. Just tune in when Harold takes the microphone. It's much better. Uh, we get support from CKXU still. Shaw broadcasts this nightly at 4:30 and 10:30. Yes. Look at that. I get it wrong, and that and now I'm getting it right. Um, we will entertain written questions. Um, you can just hand them to me. I'll be sitting right up here beside Van. And let me see here. Uh, Harold Jansen is going to talk to us about uh, electoral reform and is Canada ready to replace first past the post? It was muttered about uh, and, and spoken loudly about at times during the, uh, the, during the election run. Uh, and since the Liberals came in power, it's been mumbled about. Uh, the, the system that was mentioned during the election, uh, Harold's going to touch on that. He's going to talk about the, what's involved in changing it. Um, you guys know Harold if you've come to Sackpaw regularly. He, he's, this is what, your fifth time? Fifth time at the podium, and he's excellent. He hits 30 minutes on the money. Annalise doesn't get mad at me. Everything runs smoothly. Um, he's very interested. Look, I'm going to read right from his bio here. He's interested in the ways in which Canadians and Albertans interact with their government through political parties and new technology. And, and the last time he spoke was electoral reform, right? Was it? It was on the federal election. There you, and it was, that was actually really good. That was, that was one of the more entertaining sections. I'm going to let him get up here and talk about this topic because it's, it's wonderful and it matters to all of us. And, and if you think about the topic, talk about it during the lunch period and enjoy. Here he is, Professor Harold Jansen. In case you're worried, I'm not planning on texting with my phone. I've got a stopwatch to keep me on time. So thank you uh, for inviting me to uh, speak with you and visit with you once again. And I'm excited about uh, talking about this topic with you. In August, I actually had an opportunity to be an expert witness before the Electoral Reform Committee, and they were feeling bad that we were all gathered together on a beautiful summer evening in Ottawa talking about electoral reform. And I told them I couldn't think of a better way to spend a summer evening in August than to talk about electoral systems. So I'm excited to get that opportunity once again. Uh, this is a topic that political scientists love, uh, but often the general public isn't interested in. So I'm gratified to see so many of you here coming to uh, hopefully learn something about it. Now there's a lot of different ways to approach the topic of electoral reform, and I uh, struggled a bit with how to do it because it really is a big topic. I've taught a 40-hour course on this 
subject and uh, I didn't think you wanted to sit here for 40 hours. So what I decided to do is not to spend my time trying to persuade you that the system needs changing or that you should like my preferred system. I can talk about that. I can answer some questions about that if you're interested. Um, but for the record, and it was in the flyer that was distributed, I do support changing the electoral system and I would probably pick a mixed member proportional system, but that's not really what I'm going to talk to you about. What I really would like to focus more on is, is why are we talking about this? It's a bit odd, actually, that this has come up on the agenda. Like I said, it's not something that tends to, have to happen often. Democratic countries don't frequently change electoral systems. And it's very odd in the Canadian case. So there's really three things I want to do. First, I want to talk to you a little bit about why electoral systems matter. If you're not going to take my word for it, I'll try to convince you. Uh, the second thing is to talk a little bit about, well, why, why are we doing this right now? And the third thing is to talk a little bit about the process and why the process is problematic or difficult. So how did we get here? Well, it really comes down to last spring. Justin Trudeau made this promise. We're committed to ensuring that the 2015 election will be the last federal election using first past the post. So this was part of a broader package of democratic reforms he was promising in the lead up to the election. And this really caught my attention. It's not something we frequently see. Uh, people don't often get motivated by electoral systems in choosing uh, for whom to vote. Uh, but it was a promise, and it faded to the background a little bit during the campaign, but over time, it's, uh, they had to deliver on this once they're in government. And as you're going to see, it's a little bit surprising, actually, that this is a liberal government that's doing this, and I'll explain why. Before we get to that, let me explain why you should care. So electoral systems are the rules of the game, and that's why they matter. They determine how votes get translated into seats. So that's very important. What political parties and candidates want are seats. Votes are a means to that end, but seats are really what drives it. So the system translates votes into seats in particular ways, and that will shape the way that political parties and candidates act and behave, and even the way governments act and behave. And it can affect how citizens vote. So because it's the rules of the game, it matters. Now I'm going to talk just a little bit about our system, and I'm going to briefly explain our electoral system, what it is and what it does. And like all electoral systems, it has strengths and weaknesses. And some of the effects I will outline might be viewed as strengths or weaknesses, depending a little bit on your perspective and what you think is important in an electoral system or from a government. So our electoral system is commonly called first past the post. Now I've, truth be told, political scientists don't like this term, and I actually took some grief back at the office for the title of this talk because it's inaccurate. It implies that there's some sort of standard. There's a post you need to get to to get elected. There's a finish line. And in fact, there isn't. So the technical term that political scientists like, because we like to sound really smart and incomprehensible, is this one, single member plurality. That's actually the technical name for the system we have. And now you can go and impress all your friends by using this in casual conversation later today. So there's really two parts to this. The first part is pretty obvious, single member. We elect one member per electoral district. And there's actually even a more technical term for that, but really that's just, a, there's a complicated way to say it. We just elect one person. So the district of Lethbridge, Rachel Harder is that one member of parliament, right? We have one MP who represents the district. Many parts of the world, that's not the case. In Canada, it is. The other part is that it's a plurality. It's the candidate with the most votes who wins, not the candidate with the majority of the vote. There have been surveys done that a majority of Canadians are actually confused about this. There's a lot of Canadians who think you need a majority, and you don't. 
There are many cases where you can win with 30% of the vote. If you have enough candidates and the vote is divided just right, you can actually win where in a situation where 70% of the people wanted somebody else to be their member of parliament, but you had more than anybody else. So that's, that's the system we have, single member plurality. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the effects, and like I said, you can, and why, why people want to change it. And so the first big effect is that we don't see a really good correspondence between seats and votes. So if you look at this graph, the yellow bar is the percentage of the vote every party got, and the, the purpley blue bar, or what's blue on your screen, is the percentage of the seats. And you can see these things don't completely line up. And I just picked 2015 because it's the most recent election. I could have pretty much closed my eyes, stabbed in my handy-dandy book of election results, and picked any election and you would see something very similar. So I'm not just cherry-picking cases here. This is almost always the case. And what we almost always see is that whoever uh, is in government gets more. So the Liberals clearly benefited, right? Three in five Canadians voted for somebody else, but they have a majority of the seats. And in our system, that means they essentially have all the power because in Parliament, things are decided by a majority vote. The Conservatives, a little bit underrepresented from what they uh, should have had. And the NDP, substantially underrepresented, as was the Green Party. So that's a really important thing. And, and it might be entirely sensible to have the person with the most votes win at the local level. But when we aggregate it to the national level, we end up with these results. We don't see a very good correspondence between votes and seats. So one consequence of this is we tend to get what we call manufactured majorities. Majority governments uh, typically don't have the support of the majority of Canadians. In fact, since World War II, there have only been two governments, two prime ministers who ever enjoyed the support of a majority of Canadians. I'm going to throw that out as a trivia question. I'll give the answer during the question and answer period. Do you know what those two elections were? Which years they occurred in? So this happened, like I said, in 2015. This is what the Liberals did. The Liberals didn't earn a majority. They had a manufactured majority. In fact, every single Liberal majority government we have ever had since World War II has been a manufactured majority. The Liberals have never, since World War II, won a majority of the vote. But they have a majority of the seats. And they've enjoyed a majority of the seats for most of that time. Third thing it does is the electoral system magnifies a shift in voter support. So a good example of this is the Conservatives. So in 2011, the Conservatives enjoyed something very similar. They got 39.6% of the vote, 53.9% of the seats, another manufactured majority, right? Stephen Harper, not picking on Justin Trudeau, Stephen Harper didn't do it either. Three out of five Canadians wanted somebody other than Stephen Harper in 2011. So in 2015, the Conservative votes dropped reasonably, uh, a reasonably significant amount, 7.7%, but their seat share dropped almost 25%. So it looked like the Conservatives did a lot worse in that election. They almost halved their seat total. It, was, it looked like quite a repudiation. But actually, it wasn't really, right? There, they had lost some support, no question. But it magnifies those shifts in voter support. And again, you can see this as a bug or a feature. Um, because you, uh, you might see it as this is good. It's easy for voters to throw the rascals out when they're sick of them. Or it makes our elections a little more random than they might otherwise be. The other thing is that it encourages regional campaigning. So those seat vote things being different, those, those translations being different at the national level, also work at the regional level. So here's Alberta, right? We think of Alberta as being solidly conservative. And 
it is pretty conservative, right? 60% of voters voted conservative. But over, they got over 80% of the seats. And the Liberals, uh, almost a quarter of voters supported the Liberals in the province. And then you can see the results for the other, uh, other parties. But we tend to have this impression that the Liberals do, uh, don't do very well in Alberta. One in four Albertans voted Liberal. But we don't see that very well represented in the vote totals that we get. Even in the bad years, even in 2011, about one in 10 Albertans still voted Liberal at one of their lowest points. But they had nothing to show for it. So what this does is this encourages parties to concentrate their efforts where it's going to make a difference. Now you might notice, and the, this last election was a bit of an exception, we don't tend to see a lot of party leaders campaigning in southern Alberta, right? Because there's not much point for a conservative leader to come here because they can't, the, you can only win one seat in Lethbridge, for example, right? Winning it by 15% or winning it by 30% doesn't make a difference. And if you're uh, a leader of another party, well, you've got places where you, you might be able to make a difference where a shift of 2 or 3% might actually elect somebody. So parties think regionally in terms of the way they campaign and arguably, arguably in terms of the way they govern. So these are, these are some of the features that we see. Now, there are a few others that people point to, for example, that perhaps our system might depress turnout, make it more difficult for women to get elected. And I'm going to tell you the political science research isn't entirely conclusive on either of those points. Um, there's a little bit of evidence, but it depends a lot on a lot of other factors that go on. So we're a little less confident about some of those claims, um, but they are often put forward as possible shortcomings as well. So are there alternatives? Yes, the world is full of all kinds of uh, electoral systems, and we've used some of them in the past in Canada. And I'm not going to go into a huge amount of detail into these because it can get quite technical and complicated. And if you want to learn more about these, I'll be happy to answer questions. Um, but I'm just going to briefly describe them so we all know what we're talking about. So there's two big families of alternatives. There's proportional systems, majoritarian systems. So there, under the family of proportional systems, there's lots of different ones, but I'm going to talk about the two main ones that have been talked about for Canada. The first is the mixed member proportional system, and they use this in, uh, was pioneered in Germany after World War II. It was basically created by the Allies as they uh, reconstructed Germany uh, after the end of World War II. And the most recent, and why this is an interesting case for Canadians, is New Zealand had a system exactly like ours. They, in the 1990s, decided to get rid of it, and they replaced it with the mixed member proportional system. So mixed member proportional, or MMP as we like to call it, because it gets tiring saying mixed member proportional all the time. An MMP system basically gives people two votes, one for the candidate you want, want, one for the party you want. They use the party vote to determine the share of the seats that every party gets. And then we look at the difference between the number that were elected in constituencies, and then we'll add some from a list so we get a proportional result, but you still have a local representative. So like I said, this is quite a popular one among political scientists, and uh, myself included. Um, but that's one of the main alternatives seen for Canada. Another one is one called the single transferable vote. And the most common example of this is the Republic of Ireland. STV was actually used in Alberta and Manitoba for provincial elections uh, in the cities of Winnipeg, Edmonton, and Calgary between 1920 and about 1955. So we actually have some experience with this in Canada. But in an STV system, you have more than one candidate in represent, or you have more than one elected representative. 
Uh, so you might have four or five representatives for your district, and people rank them in order. And then there's a really complicated process by which we deal with when somebody's not elected and how we determine which of those five people, but it generally produces a proportional result. So the point of both of these systems is that the share of the votes is gonna match the share of the seats. If you get 40% of the vote, you're going to get 40% of the seats. So to give you an example of what this might have looked like in 2015, so I, I just, these are quick, quick numbers that I ran off looking at what it would look like. So under ac the actual is what we actually got in the 2015 election. If you look at the projected results, you can see the Liberals drop quite a bit um, and all the other parties go up, um, some more than others. And one of the things I want you to notice is the 138 for the Liberals. You notice that's well under what a majority government is. 170 is a majority. So what it would mean if we went to a proportional system is an end of single party majority governments, almost for sure. Like I said, only two governments since 1945 have ever earned that. You're really wondering what they are now. I will tell you, I promise. Um, but in one, the, the 138 is, is a pretty typical example. So what we tend to see in countries that use proportional systems is they have to form coalitions. They have to form a deal with another party to cooperate together to hold power. And often that involves sharing cabinet posts either, working out a deal, what parts of each party's platform they're going to use. Um, so that's fairly common uh, in many continental European countries. Now, the majoritarian options are or something else we should look at and we should pay close attention to, and the main one here is something called the alternative vote, and it's used in Australia. So here we keep single-member districts, but people rank the candidates in order of preference. So if you, say, liked your Green Party candidate first, you'd put one, let's say you like the Liberal second, you'd put two, NDP three, Conservative four, right? That's something you could imagine a voter doing. And then if nobody has a majority of the first preferences, we drop the lowest candidate, we transfer their ballots. We use this often in votes for party leaders. This is actually reasonably commonly used in uh, Canada at the level of party elections. Now the reason we should pay attention to this is because in that middle of June press conference in 2015, Justin Trudeau said he wanted to leave it to Parliament to decide what kind of system we should adopt, but he personally favored the alternative vote. Okay, so we should pay attention to this one. What would it look like? That's hard to say. My colleague and friend, uh, Peter McCormick, uh, read, we did something last year where we published a quick little uh, article where we looked at what it would look like. And you can see the Liberals actually do pretty well. And the Conservatives, not so well, right, this system. And the reason the Liberals do well is because there are a lot of parties' second choices. Right, if you're a new Democrat, and you have to choose between the Liberals or the Conservatives as your second choice, well, the Liberals are closer to you. If you're a Green Party supporter, the same is true of, you might pick the Liberals as second, but, but, or, the, or the NDP as second, but then the Liberals would be your third choice. The Conservatives don't do very well in getting second choices. And, and so that's a problem for them. Now, the Conservatives might behave differently if we have this system, right? They've spent a lot of time polarizing the differences between themselves and the other parties, which maybe they wouldn't do if they were under the system. And indeed, that's one of the hopes of the system, that it encourages parties to reach out a little more. But you can see it also preserves the majority government. It doesn't fix that first problem though, right? That disproportionality between seats and votes. It doesn't produce a more accurate reflection of how Canadians voted. In fact, according to the simulation we ran, it actually would make it worse. It would make our results less reflective of the way people voted. The Conservatives would be even less well represented than they deserve to be, and the Liberals would be even more well represented than they deserve to be. So that's just to give you an idea 
of what the alternatives are. All right, so back to this point. We're going to talk about the politics of what's going on behind this. And as I said, electoral systems are the rules of the game. But here's an important thing about the rules of the game. The people who are playing the game, the players, are getting to set the rules. Okay, and that's a really important point. The players are setting the rules. And the players are setting the rules, and not just all, not all the players, but the players who are really good at the game, right? So the people who are benefiting from the system are the ones who get to make the decision. So the Liberals control a majority of the seats in Parliament, and who bene who's benefiting from the system? Well, the Liberals, right? So generally, we don't see um, electoral system change, because the people who are in Parliament, the people who make those decisions, in any country in the world are the beneficiaries of the system that's there. They have a built-in interest not to do this. So it's interesting that we're actually talking about change and somewhat surprising. Electoral reform is not an easy or common process. But it does happen. I mentioned in New Zealand it happened. We've seen referendums on electoral reform in British Columbia and Ontario. There's one happening in Prince Edward Island at the end of October and it's running over several days because they're allowing phone and online voting as well. Um, so we do see this happen from time to time. So it doesn't mean it never changes. So what causes changes? Typically we see two things. The first is we see anomalous election results. We see strange kind of results and there's two that often trigger this. One is, is when we get a situation where a party with fewer votes than another party gets more seats in that party and then forms a government. Okay, so we've seen that British Columbia in 1996, the Liberal Party had more votes than the NDP, the NDP won more seats. British, uh, New, uh, New Brunswick in 2006, same thing. Uh, the Conservatives had more votes than the Liberals, the Liberals got more seats and formed a government. We call that a wrong winner election. Now here's what's odd about Canada at the federal level. We've never really had one of those. We kind of did in 1979, but it was a minority government, so it was brief brief and it was a minority government. Well, we've never had that. The other thing we can see is if we have an oversized majority where we don't have enough opposition. So in British Columbia in 2001, uh, there were only a, a handful, three or four new Democrats in opposition. And the Liberals dominated the entire legislature. 1987 in uh, New Brunswick, the Liberals took all 57 seats. There was literally no opposition. And that's a problem. We need opposition to make our system work and for accountability. And so that can tend to trigger election results. That's what's behind the Prince Edward Island referendum. Another thing that can do it is, a uh, is popular discontent, a dislike of politicians and of parties that's somehow linked to the electoral system. Now, we, I would argue we don't really have that in Canada. Now, I know p politicians aren't the most popular. Political parties aren't, are, aren't institutions that are loved or valued in our society. But often it's linked to particular politicians or parties. So for example, there was a lot of dislike of the Conservatives and Stephen Harper by late 2015, but a lot of that was settled by a change of government. Right? We don't see that generalized discontent. So we don't have this either. So we need to look a little bit at parties. Well, what's going on with the parties? Why would a party drive this? So this complicated, messy draft graph is every election since 1945. And you don't need to worry too much about what the numbers mean, but just know if you're above the line, that means you're benefiting from the electoral system. If you're below the line, you're being hurt by the electoral system. Okay, so, and the bigger that bar is, the more you're being helped, the lower it is. And if you want to know the math behind it, I can explain it. But this, this indicates 
And for those of you wondering about my trivia question on which two elections, there's hints right here. Now you notice the Liberal Party has generally done pretty well by our electoral system, right? In only six of these elections did they actually get punished by the election, by the electoral system, and only three of them severely. So here's a really interesting point. Here is the point where they made that promise. And here's the point where they have to deliver on it. So you notice how things change for them, right? At that point in 2015, they're the third place party and they are being hurt by the electoral system. Okay, so in the short run, they're very worried because the NDP is, is looking like a threat. And so this is seen as a way to save them. But also I, I would argue that it was partly an attempt by the Liberals to sort of reach out to um, people who have an interest in this kind of thing. And we've seen this in the Liberal Democratic Party in Britain, sort of a more educated, institutionally reformed kind of electoral base, and that's what the Liberals seem to be trying to create. But really, I think you can argue it didn't really fit their interests overall. Now, you notice I have small c conservative here because you notice I have two bars, and during the, the late 80s and early 90s and into 2000, I had to include the Reform Party and Canadian Alliance. And you can see generally the Conservatives have done pretty well under the system as well. Uh, the big problem was in the mid, it was during the 1990s where the vote was being split between the Reform Party and uh, the Conservatives. And there actually was a bit of interest in electoral reform among Conservatives. Tom Flanagan and Stephen Harper actually co-authored an article suggesting maybe we need to look at electoral reform during that period. How about the NDP? Well, if you have to point to one party that's been hurt consistently by the electoral system, it's this one. Yeah, I was pretty stunned to see I mean, I knew that, but actually seeing it this way really tells you something, right? It's funny, though, because the NDP, I would argue, has been surprisingly ambivalent on this at times, because um, when they've had times to promote electoral reform, for example, in 2005, the Liberal government was close to collapsing. Uh, they were going to lose a vote in the House. It was a minority government. And what Jack Layton held out for was money for social programs, not movement on electoral reform, right? That's what, personally, I would have held out for. No provincial NDP government has ever reformed the electoral system, ever, which is quite striking, right? Because we often see this at the provincial level as well. So the only election where they've ever benefited was 2011. So it's hard, so, so we can see something about, there, there's something about self-interest going on here. All right, so the Liberals make this promise. They form a government, they announce a cabinet, and they have to deliver on it. Now, what's interesting about this is that the process has actually been more contentious than the actual content of any reforms because it's not clear. The Liberals aren't actually coming out with a proposal. So the first thing I want to clear up is that to change the electoral system requires no constitutional amendment or referendum. All you need is a simple act of parliament. People are often astonished to hear that, but it's absolutely the case. This requires simply an act of parliament. A majority of MPs voting on this is all that is required. Legally, I was at a conference in May uh, by the Canadian Study of Parliament group. We had a bunch of constitutional lawyers there, and I'd gotten into a lot of arguments with people about this, and they all agreed with me. So I'm, I'm happy to report that back to you that I was right. You don't need to change the Constitution for this. There's a big issue of timing. This is Mark Menard, who is Canada's chief electoral officer. The Liberals dragged their feet on this promise a little bit. Remember, Justin Trudeau said, 2019, we're going to have a new electoral system. But they didn't get going on this till June of this year. Mark Maynard appeared before the Electoral Reform Committee and said, we want to do this, we need to change the electoral system by May 2017. 
we have to have the legislation in place because it's going to take Elections Canada over two years to make all the changes necessary. The clock is ticking. So they formed an electoral reform committee, the, and this is the, if you're on Twitter, this is the hashtag ERRE, and this is what it's known as, electoral reform, reform electoral. Uh, 12 members. What you notice is unusual about this committee, though, is most, most parliamentary committees have uh, represents or, or the proportion of members on them represents the standings in the House of Commons. The Liberals should actually have seven members on this committee according to that. But they only have five. They went for proportional representation on the committee because the argument was, well, if you're worried about disproportionality, it seems a little odd, they would use a disproportional parliament to form a disproportional committee to talk about whether we should have a more proportional electoral system. Now, an interesting byproduct of this, though, is that the parties have different incentives. I'd argue the Liberals, despite their promise, they need to deliver some change. They don't want full PR. It's not in their interest. I'd argue the Conservatives don't want, they want to keep the status quo. The Green Party wants PR. The Bloc would probably be happy with the status quo. And I'd argue the NDP probably wants PR. The committee's going to be deadlocked, right? They're going to have a hard time reaching agreement. One last issue I just want to deal with is the issue of public consultation. The role of the public is important, right? And although political parties and candidates are an important part of the electoral process, so are voters. And increasingly, we have this expectation that voters should be involved. So we've seen referendums in Ontario and in British Columbia, and as I said, in Prince Edward Island now for the second time. We also saw two referendums in British Columbia. So there's this issue of public consultation. And in fact, the Electoral Reform Committee is charged with coming up with a process and doing public consultation. So they're supposed to report by December 1st. And remember Mark Maynard's deadline, which gives about five or six months to do public consultation. Not a lot of time. So this is a problem. Now, one of the ways we deal with this is the potential of a referendum. If you've been on the Conservative website lately, this will pop up for you to see. The Conservatives are highlighting the need for a referendum. Now the problem with a referendum, I'm going to argue, is that a lot of people don't do the homework and don't want to do the homework to understand the ins and outs of electoral systems. Uh, they can be quite technical and the research shows this. We have lots of research on referendum voting at pr the provincial level and we know this, right? And that favors the status quo. Well, that's too complicated, I'm going to vote no. And there isn't a lot of public discontent with our electoral system. That's not what's driving this. Um, so the Conservatives are campaigning on this. Now, although I'd say, and I have no doubt there are some Conservatives who do genuinely want public engagement, I'd argue a lot of this is actually tactical. The Conservatives don't want electoral reform. I don't think it's in their interest. And, but I don't think they want to come out and argue it on its merits. So they're hiding behind the process. And this is a very popular stance. Uh, some surveys show that a significant majority think we should have a referendum on this, so they've got the public on their side on this. But I argue it's largely tactical. So, bottom line, what's going to come out of all this? Which way are we going to go? Well, I highly doubt we're going to get a proportional system, even though the mandate of the Lock Reform Committee is to try to come up with something that improves that correspondence. I doubt we're going to get that. Uh, I don't think it's in the interest of most of the parties, and they are in control of the process. And as I said, I don't think there's a lot of public discontent. But I do think the Liberals have to deliver something. Um, so I suspect we're going to see some kind of changes to the system around things like online voting or something like that. 
that are also in the committee's mandate, more cosmetic kind of changes that don't fundamentally alter the translation of votes into seats, or we'll do something like the alternative vote, which is easier to implement, looks like change, has some resonance with the public because we use it to elect political party leaders, but um, still preserves their significant advantage. So anyway, that's sort of my quick overview of what I think is going on in this process, and I look forward to our discussion and questions and conversation after lunch. Thank you.